Heavenly Father, as we look again at this passage, Lord, there's a, there's a sense of, uh, of fear and trepidation to, as we realize the daunting task that you are calling us to. Lord, as husbands and wives specifically. Lord, we realize that there are things in this passage that are hard for all of us. Lord, whether we think of, of ways that, that we have been hurt in past relationships or ways we have hurt others, Lord, I, I pray that, that all of the things that, that I say here, that, that may be grounded in the gospel in every heart. Lord, I, I pray that, that we wouldn't see, see this as a, just as a, another way that, that we fail and just leave it at that and, and fall under, under condemnation. Uh, but Lord, that, that through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be, to be faithfully seeking to live out these things. Lord, help us to be to, to look for ways to honor you in all of our relationships, especially in the relationship of marriage. Lord, if there are those who are here who are hurting because of, of past or, or present circumstances, Lord, I pray that, that they would see Christ in all of this and that they would look to him find hope and peace in Him. And Lord, for those that that are really bound up in, in, um, in struggles, I, I pray, Lord, Lord, that they would find the help that they need here in this church and, and, and in Your Word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a culture that is desperately trying to redefine and undermine marriage whether it comes from disputing the, the God-given roles in marriage, or whether it comes from questioning whether marriage is necessary at all, or whether it comes from perverting who can get married, our culture is assaulting marriage. There's never been a more important time that our marriages reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ than now at this point in time. There's never been a, a more important time for you to seek to live out God's plan and purpose for your marriage than the present time. God invented marriage. Marriage is not an evolutionary adaptation and advantage for the spread of genetic information. It is not, it is not a psychological development for the comfort of lonely individuals. It is not a social construct, not simply the, the method that societies developed in order to establish stability. God invented marriage. But why did God invent marriage? For the fulfilling of the command to be fruitful and multiply? Yes. For the raising of children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Yes. For your sanctification as your sin is exposed and dealt with? Yes. For your blessing because God delights in giving His children good gifts? Yes. The Bible presents all of these as reasons for marriage, and all of them are important. But there's one overarching purpose of marriage, one reason that is, that is more important than, than all of those others. It, it's In fact, it's the reason... That, that all of those find their, their significance in this overarching reason. And if you get a, a hold of this in your head and in your heart, then you will elevate your marriage. You will elevate your marriage beyond the daily difficulties, beyond the routine issues of life, beyond even your sin. 
Your marriage is temporary. But this purpose isn't. This purpose is eternal. Remember in our first week on this topic, I, I told you that I would reveal the mystery of marriage. And this morning it looks like we're finally going to get there. You need to remember that this really is one sermon preached over three weeks. In the first week we talked about how wives are to submit to their husband as the church submits to Christ. And then last week we talked about how wives are called to love like Christ and to lead like Christ. We've seen that, that when you husbands, by God's grace, put off domineering your wife and love her, you are overcoming the effects of the curse. How wives, when you also by the grace of God put off your natural desire to usurp your husband's authority, you are overcoming the effects of the curse. We're living in dark days. Again, if there was ever a time that it was essential that you seek to live out God's plan and purpose for marriage, it's now. If there was ever a time to seek out to live out God's plan and purpose in your marriage, it is now. And singles, this is your opportunity to be able to, to prepare your hearts. Even children, this is your opportunity to be able to hear these things and to, to have these truths planted like seeds in your heart so that when the time comes, then you will seek to live these things out by the grace of God, through the influence of the gospel in your lives. So last week we saw how Paul calls husbands to love their wives. And the, the example and the standard that Paul gave us husbands is Christ. The supreme standard in everything is Christ. And husbands, you are called to love your wife like Christ. You're called to sanctify your wife like Christ through the Word. But now in verses 28 to 30, Paul describes a third way that husbands are to love their wives like Christ. Husbands are to nurture their wives like Christ. They are to, to, to nurture their wives. You are to nurture your wife like Christ nurtures the church. And so let's see how, how Paul explains that to us. First he says you are to love your wife like you love your own body. Now we know that we're all commanded to love our neighbor like ourselves. Leviticus 19.18 tells us this as does you know, Jesus in Matthew 22.39. And, and we know that, that loving someone like yourself means to care for their, their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, but marriage provides you with the best opportunity provides you the best opportunity to be able to love someone like yourself. But it also provides really the, the most difficult opportunity to love someone else like yourself. Well, think, think just for a moment about, about how you're called to do this in marriage. You, you again are called to love your wife like your own body. Well, let's face it, men, some of us here take better care of our bodies than others. But when you're hungry, you feed your body. Right? You, you rest your body when you're tired. You, you protect your body from pain. But when it comes to, to your relationship with your wife, these are the things that, that should really be transferred or translated into your care for her. Because you're in a one flesh relationship with her. This is a relationship that you have with no one else on the planet. You're to 
provide for your wife physically, providing food and shelter and clothing and protection and to make sure that she gets rest when she needs it. You provide for her emotionally by, by being there, by being present in the relationship, by being aware of troubles and concerns that she has. You provide for her spiritually, not just by having regular time in the Bible together, but by bringing the Word of God to bear in all of life. And by praying for her specifically and by helping her to exercise her spiritual gifts. It's being intentional to nurture your wife like you nurture yourself. Joel Beeky says it like this. He says you are to love your wife by providing, not neglecting. By nurturing, not abusing. And by appreciating, not taking her for granted. So marriage really provides the best opportunity for you to love someone as yourself because there is no one that you are closer to than your wife. There, there is no one else whose needs you are more aware of than the needs of your wife. You live in, in such close quarters that you will, will become aware of, of a need almost as soon as she is. Unless you're thick and insensitive. And that's really where the main difficulty comes. Because let's face it, men, we are all often thick and insensitive. And our thickness and insensitivity is often compounded by the, the hurts that have been experienced in marriage. And so you need to love and forgive through the gospel, by the grace of the gospel. You need to seek and to love your wife as you have been loved, as a sinner who doesn't deserve love. You need to train yourself. You need to train yourself out of obedience to this direct command in Scripture to overcome your, your thickness and insensitivity. Men, your, your wife's needs might be perplexing to you. You, you might find her emotional responses sometimes confusing and her way of thinking difficult to, to comprehend. But you have the responsibility to try to figure her out. You need to ask questions. You need to be a student of your wife. Stuart Scott, is the, the author of The Exemplary Husband, said that he actually keeps a file on his wife. He literally keeps a file on his wife, and I had him as, as my professor for the marriage for several classes, but in the marriage and family class, uh, he brought the file in. He didn't show it to us, but he, he brought the file in to show us the file that he keeps on his wife, and, and, he, and he actually brought his wife, named Sandra, and he brought her into class um, to talk about some of these things, and, and they were having a really um, informative, interesting dialogue, and he was, he was saying, he was, I mean, they'd been married for, at that point, uh, I think about 25 years, but he... He said, you know, so for example, Zondra doesn't like flowers. And, he, and she said, yes, I do. And he said, well, what do you mean? She said, no, it's in the particular context that the flowers have to come. And so there's certain times that she would want flowers and other times that she wouldn't. And man, that's, that's difficult for us to understand. But, but when you really care about your wife, there's a way to, to love her. And, and you seek to love her in the way that she wants to be loved. And so he had to make some adjustments to his file. But, but, but this is, this is, I mean, it sounds silly to us, but, but men, are you a student of your wife? 
even if you're married for, for 20, 25, 30 years plus, that, that you are still a student of your wife. I didn't tell you when you came in this morning, but I'm going to give you a pop quiz. And so husbands, can you answer these questions? You don't have to answer them out loud, just answer them in your heart. What is your wife's favorite type of food? What type of gifts does your wife enjoy getting? It'll get a little bit harder here. What is burdening your wife right now? Maybe thinking about how you're going to do on this quiz. <laughs> what most easily upsets your wife? What is the biggest area that your wife needs to grow in her spiritual walk? What ways does your wife enjoy ministering to others? If your wife had an evening to relax, what would she want to do? Now comes the hardest question. What are you doing to provide for your wife in these areas? Are you looking for opportunities to meet her needs? Are you praying earnestly for her? Or are you just skating along, taking your wife for granted? Let's face it, when it, when it comes to these things, if I was to ask them about you, you would be able to answer me just like that. And, and you would be, you're seeking to, to deal with these things in, in your normal daily lives. But, but how intentional are you in doing this for your wife? Now again, this, this might be, be challenging, it is challenging, but, but think about it for a moment. If your boss wanted you to learn a, a new manual over the next year, and he, and he told you that, that I'm going to give you a $10,000 raise if you begin to understand this manual. How much effort would you put into learning the manual? Even if it was extremely challenging, you would try, right? And then the rewards of becoming a student of your wife far, far, far outweigh any monetary blessing. And here's the thing. If your wife perceives that you are trying to figure her out and trying to grow in, in ways to, to love her more practically and, and to seek to, to lead as, as you are called to in the Word of God, she's going to be very blessed. She's going to be very appreciative of what you're doing, even, even if you're failing in this. You'll get an A for effort. And your wife will, will grow under your love. And then when you love your wife, you are loving yourself. That's what Paul says here. He says, when you love your wife, you are loving her. A man who loves you are loving her as yourself. He who loves his wife loves himself. So you are to love your wife selfishly. To love your wife selfishly, but not in the way that we usually think of the word selfish. You're to love your wife as you love yourself. You're to care for your wife like you care for yourself, by caring for her needs, by caring for, for the, the things that, that she wants, the way, in the ways that she wants you to care for her. Paul continues in verse 29, he said, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ 
does the church. And here is where Paul, once again, uh, lays down the, the standard and the example of Christ. The word that's translated here, nourish, is the same that's, that's translated in, in 6.4 as, as fathers are to bring up their children. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church in all of the ways that we've just explained, doesn't he? Christ intimately knows the needs of the body of his bride, and he powerfully works to provide for her needs. Not only did he work to provide salvation for his bride by living and dying for her, Ephesians 5.25, and sanctification, Ephesians 5.26, but he provides for her development and growth, Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 14. And he lives to make intercession for her, Romans 8 and, and Hebrews 7.25. Christ provides for her, and he continues to provide for her, and will continue to provide for his bride until the marriage supper of the Lamb on into eternity. And he does all of this not out of, sense, out of a sense of duty, but out of his deep, deep love. Out of his deep love. Christian, Jesus loved you. Jesus loves you, and he will love you for all eternity. He's going to love you forever and ever. He will be your devoted husband forever and ever. You belong to him forever and ever. Now, this, this marriage that you are in now with your, with your wife, this is temporary, but the marriage that we have with Christ is eternal. And so out of the, the great blessings, the, the unparalleled blessings of the love for Christ, this is where we, we get the motivation and the means to be able to love our wives. We are members of His body. We're members of the body of Christ. Just as it's natural for a man to take care of his own body, it is natural for Christ to take care of His body, the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. How often do you think yourself of yourself as being part of the body of Christ? Part of the body of Christ as, as intimately connected with Christ as your head is connected to your neck, and even more so. You are part of the body of Christ. Here's Francis folks on this. He says, is in the divine purpose the wife becomes part of the very life of her husband and he nourishes and cherishes her, even so the Lord does to us as members of himself, part of his own life that he is joined to himself. So husbands and wives, you together are part of the body of Christ together. Together you have entered into this relationship with Christ. Together you, you make up part of the church. And so your, your, your wife is your sister. Your husband is your brother. You are part of the body of Christ together. And as part of the body, your marriage, your relationship, especially with, with your wife, your husband, actually has an influence on those other relationships around you. Your marriage has an impact on the other marriages on the, on the church, and yours does on theirs. But it's true of, of all of our relationships, that, that you're, the way that you treat your brother and sister in Christ impacts not just them, but, but the whole body. Because it, it's really, it, it comes.
comes from, every relationship comes from, every earthly relationship has its, its source in our relationship with Christ. And as our relationship with Him grows and develops and, and matures as we're sanctified in Him, then it's going to affect all of our relationships. And so the body is built up. That's what Paul's been talking about for, from Ephesians uh, chapter 4 to the middle of chapter 5. And again, here he's, he's dealing with, with specifically with the, the relationship of marriage. But it's a, it's a good question. You should ask yourself how you're influencing those around you. Are you influencing them for good or for ill? Paul is saying that you are to love your wife as yourself because she is one with you. She is one with you in the body of Christ. She is, but she is one with you in, in here in an even more intimate and unique and mysterious way. In this life you are one flesh. You are one flesh with your wife. Look at verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, where do you first hear these words in the Bible? In Genesis 2.24, right after the Lord brings Eve to Adam, and Adam exclaims in verse 23, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my life, uh, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is the first time that that, that verse is used, but Jesus quotes it, quotes this verse in uh, verse 24 in Matthew 19 and Mark 10 to describe the, the true nature of marriage and especially its permanence, saying that, that there, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, Mark 10, 9. And now Paul is quoting Genesis 2, 24 again to describe the true nature of marriage, but here its ultimate plan and purpose. What Paul is saying here is that, that because of what he has just said about husbands nurturing their wives like their own bodies, because Christ nurtures the church, you are to leave your parents and to join with your wife. Now in Genesis 2.24, it's obviously pointing ahead, pointing to something in the future, because Adam didn't have parents to leave. Right? But the, the paradigm was there established that husbands are to leave, leave their parents and join with their wives. And likewise, wives leave their parents and, and join with their husband. Just think for a moment about a marriage ceremony. At the beginning of the, of the, the marriage ceremony, when the, when the, the, the groom is standing there and, and all the, the groomsmen and, the, and the, the bridesmaids are there, then the, the music changes and, and the, the, the bride starts to, to walk down the aisle with her father. And then the preacher says, uh, who gives this woman? And the parents, the, the father will usually say something along the lines of her, her mother and I do. And then he takes his daughter's hands and puts them in the hands of the groom. At least that's how the, the groom hopes it's going to go down. It's a symbol of, of, of leaving and cleaving. You are, are leaving, the bride is leaving her father and is, is joining to her husband. So this is, this is a new relationship that's forming. It's a new family that's forming. And so this, this, this whole scene symbolizes that, that passage. That the bride and the groom leave their husbands and join together in a one flesh relationship. Well, let's just think for a few minutes about what it means to be in a one flesh relationship. This, is, this really is what Paul has been talking about. 
physically, emotionally, and spiritually, husbands and wives are one. Physically, they're one flesh. We've already seen how the husbands are to care for their wives as their own bodies, but, but even also in the, in the intimate relationship, they, they are to consider their, their bodies as their own, but belonging to the other. Emotionally, they're one flesh. They admit to each other. They invest in each other. And this relationship, their marriage, supersedes every other relationship. It supersedes the relationship that they once had with their parents. And it supersedes the relationship that they will have with their children. Now, it's really important that you hear me on this. You need to commit that, that when you're married, you need to commit to, to not going to your in-laws, or to your, well, to your parents, your family, with complaints about your spouse. Yeah, because quite often what's going to happen is that they're going to take your side. Right, so you need to commit to dealing with it in-house, to, to commit to dealing with it with your spouse and, and not going to your family. And, and parents, when, when your children are married, you do them a disservice. If you, if you receive complaints about their spouse, you need to send them back to their spouse to deal with it themselves. Undermining their marriage if you, if you hear their, their complaints about their marriage. It's true also in your relationship with, with, with children. So often, parents let, let the children get in the way of their relationship and they, they spend more time focusing on, on what's happening with the kids than they do with each other. And in fact, I think that, that the more troubled a marriage is, the more likely that they're going to, to put that on their children and focus on, on the children rather than on their marriage. But husbands and wives, the best things that you can do for your kids is to strive to have a healthy marriage. You have no idea that the damage that you're doing, and I, and I see this regularly when, when couples are having marital issues that, that quite often that their patterns that they learned that their patterns that they learned from their own parents. But the best thing that you can do for your children is to have a good marriage. God has joined husbands and wives together in a one flesh relationship. Husbands and wives, God has done this. You didn't do it. The preacher didn't do it. God did it. You need to preach that to yourself. That God has made me one flesh with my spouse. Because when you begin to, to understand the reality of what God has done in your marriage, then, then any thought of having an adversarial relationship in your marriage is, is incomprehensible. How much sense would it make for you to kick yourself in the head? But so often that's what couples do in marriage. How much sense would it make for you to wrestle the, the food out of your mouth with your arm? It, it doesn't make sense. And, and in the same way, it doesn't make sense for husbands and wives to be adversarial in the way that they relate to each other. When, when you begin to understand that you really are one, you really are one flesh, it makes it far more difficult for you to advance your own cause ahead of that of your spouse. Now I hope the picture is beginning to come together. I hope you're beginning to see God's plan and God's purpose for your marriage. In verse 32, Paul makes it explicit. 
He, he reveals the mystery. He reveals the, the deepest reason, the most important reason, the most profound reason why conflict in marriage is absolutely incomprehensible. Because of what your marriage is pointing to. It says this, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. The greatest plan and purpose that God has for your marriage is to be a reflection of the gospel itself. As you think back over, what we've been, over the ground that we've been covering over the last couple of weeks of dealing with this, you, you've seen, I, I trust, that, 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 that wives, you are called, as you are called to su submit to your husbands as, Christ, as, the, as the church submits to Christ, and husbands, as you see that you are commanded to love your wife as Christ loves the church, then you are living out the gospel. Right? You're, you're a, a, a living enactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ, reflecting the relationship, the intimate loving relationship that Christ has with the church. And so when you live out that, 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 that one flesh relationship that, that we've been talking about this morning, when you live out the intimacy of, of of the gospel in the way that, that Christ nurtures and cherishes the church and husbands that you do that with your wives, this is yet another way that you are reflecting the gospel. When you fail to live out of God, your God-given role in marriage, and when you, you fail to live as one flesh, it's not just your marriage that suffers. Your reflection of the gospel suffers, and you rob God of His glory. But let's look at this from the positive side. Just think about how important your marriage is. By focusing on your marriage as a reflection of the gospel, you raise your marriage above the, the seemingly mundane day-to-day -day issues of life. It raises your marriage above your marriage. It raises your marriage above your marriage. Now, I don't want to minimize the pain of a... Of a hard marriage, or, nor do I want to underestimate the joys of a healthy marriage, but your marriage is not an end unto itself. Your marriage is meant to point to something greater. It's meant to point to the gospel, the glory of God. When you live as God is calling you to live in your marriage, you are living out the gospel. This is something that goes far beyond what Adam and Eve ever could have imagined. We can only begin to understand the mystery of marriage on this side of the cross. Yes, as you seek to do these things, you will experience immediate blessing. Yes, your children will benefit. Yes, your church will benefit. Yes, your culture will benefit. But even more than that, you are glorifying God. You are seeking to honor Him, and He is pleased. Husband, when you seek to love your wife like Christ Love the church. God is glorified. And wife, when you seek to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ, God is glorified. Even if nobody else is watching, God is watching. And He is glorified. So the glory of God provides the greatest motivation for your faithfulness and, 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 and helping you to, to live out what God has called you to do in your marriage and in all of your relationships. As you seek to live your life for the glory of God. And then finally here in verse 33, 
Paul's, Paul comes back to these specific commands for husbands and wives one more time. This is repetition for the sake of reinforcement. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, husbands, you are to love your wife as yourself. You don't need to be commanded to love yourself, do you? You're already doing that pretty well. But take that energy with which you love yourself and transfer it, apply it diligently to your love for your wife. And wives, generally speaking, nurturing comes more easily for you. But respect is more difficult. And for both of you, husbands and wives, the, the, your greatest enemy in this is you. Your flesh is going to chafe against it. You're going to be tempted to think of, of ways that, that your spouse has failed in their, in his or her responsibility, but you need to resist that urge. Your obedience is not dependent on the other's obedience. This is about you and the Lord before it's about you and your spouse. If you're failing in this, it says more about you than it does about your spouse. It's so easy for there to be an impasse to say, well, for the wife to say, well, I'll submit to him if he loves me, and for the husband to say, well, I'll love her if she submits to me. It, 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 there's no if. There's no if in that. You need to, to submit to God, both of you, and what he is calling you to do. Now, this is not just God's plan and purpose for marriage in general. This is God's plan and purpose for your marriage specifically. For your marriage. And I, I trust that the Spirit is working in your hearts to reveal areas that, that you're failing to do this. And we all have many areas of, of failing in this. This is an opportunity for you to repent to the Lord and to, to repent to your husband or wife to be able to ask forgiveness and to commit, to commit afresh to those vows that you made on your wedding day. Vows that were not primarily between you and another person. Vows that were made between you and the Lord. The vow that you made on your wedding day wasn't primarily to your husband and wife. The, the vow that you made was to God himself. And you can't do it. Left to your own devices, you will never do it. Unless God is at work in your heart, unless you're genuinely born again, you have a new heart and a desire to obey God because of His Spirit's work, you will never do this. You'll never do it. But praise God. He is at work in you to will and to work for His good pleasure, even in your marriage. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you, Lord, for the good gift of marriage. Lord, we thank you that in your perfect plan that you gave marriage ultimately as a picture of the gospel. But Lord, as we sit here this morning, we realize that, that, that so often we, we don't reflect the gospel. 
in the way that we conduct ourselves in marriage. Lord, so often we, we don't glorify you in the way that we conduct ourselves in marriage. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to, to turn from, from sin and selfishness. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to, to seek to reflect the gospel and, and that you might get the glory that you deserve. Lord, help us not to be focused on our marriages as an end unto themselves, but Lord, help us to focus on our marriages in the way that they point to you. And Lord, out of that, we know that we will receive blessing. We, we know our families and our church and our culture will benefit. But Lord, I, I pray ultimately that you'd help us to, to do this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.